Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, by the time you hear this episode, Halloween will have come and gone. But right now it's Halloween, three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm about to pick up my girl and get her ready for an afternoon or evening of trick-or-treating. This is one of the first years that she could actually understand and go run around. Last year, I let her eat too much candy. Tim kept telling me to hold off, and I let her do it. And then she woke up in the middle of the night puking. So yes, I admit when I am wrong occasionally. (laughs) Um, I don't know how we're going to hold her back from the candy, but... The fact that she is going as Queen Amidala means that she's really playing the character well. She's uh, stoic, and her acting is not all that awesome. If you remember those episodes, poor Natalie Portman. Um, but Wilder just looks amazing. I'll have to uh, pop a photo on, on social media so you can see it. So for the first time, I'm actually wearing a wig and decided to go as my daughter's daughter, Princess Leia. So we're going to see what happens there. (laughs) Anyway, loving this uh, Halloween dress up. I never dressed up as an adult until I had a kid, and now it's the coolest thing ever. But even cooler than that is the episode you're about to hear with a woman named Mary T. Callahan. I recently went down and did an absolutely awesome, fun, energetic talk at her Girls on the Run chapter's annual fundraiser. See, she runs the Girls on the Run of Greater Houston, and they are one of the oldest and largest Girls on the Run chapters in the country. I think this year they are serving roughly 700 girls. We, You all know what Girls on the Run is if you've listened to all my episodes. If not, you need to go back to, I believe it's episode number one or number two, which is uh, with Molly Barker, the actual founder of Girls on the Run. It's a program for middle school aged girls, and it's not just about running a 5K, it's about teaching life skills. It takes a very special person to want to start a chapter of Girls on the Run and then dedicate your life towards helping young girls gain confidence and and learn how to best represent themselves as they grow older. Mary T is an incredible role model for girls, and not only for girls, but for grown-up girls like you and me. Um, Today, we are going to talk about all kinds of stuff, including uh, relationships. She uh, jumped into her marriage during a very difficult time for her husband, so it's really going to be interesting to hear her tell that story. We also talk about gaining 70 pounds during pregnancy what that does to your mind and body. We hit on menopause, which I'm really curious about because I've been sweating at night a lot lately. 
Um, and, uh, and we hit on some other really cool things with Mary T, like how she's still, she's still running in her life. And in fact, is trying to run um, a marathon on every continent. Or as she says, she's just trying to run on every continent. So let's, uh, let's welcome her to the show and give it up for Mary T. Hey there, everybody. What, let's welcome Mary T. Callahan to the show. Hi, Mary. Hi, Nicole. How are you today? Good. Now, why did I call, it feels weird to call you Mary. Like, Mary T. Are you Mary or does everyone call you Mary T.? Mary T. So my name is like Mary Tierney, Rainey Callahan. And in college, instead of Mary Tierney, we went with Mary T. I love it. There's some very famous Tierneys in the swimming world. Do you remember these names at all? I Jimmy not. Tierney, Dorsey Tierney. They were like really fast swimmers. Apparently, you're not related. <laughs> we don't have to go into swimming today. This is going to be a little more about running, actually. But um, what's cool is I met you, gosh, a few weeks ago when we did your awesome, amazing Girls on the Run fundraiser. But when we first spoke on the phone maybe six months ago, I just felt an immediate connection. Yes, I did too. I, I just knew there was something about you that um, that's bigger, that's larger than life, and that we need to get your story out there. So wait, where are you today? I am in a hotel room in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But um, normally you're in Houston. Yeah. I'm sitting here actually looking at beautiful changing foliage, which is making oh. my heart happy because it's not something you see in Houston. <laughs> That's true. And as a runner, you really can appreciate yes. the beauty a little more than you do down in Houston. So uh, what are you doing in Pennsylvania? So um, my husband works out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and it's our anniversary week. So I am here to be with him during our anniversary week. Ooh, that's awesome. So what does he do? He is a financial consultant. So goes into companies when they're missing a CFO or when they're being bought out, things like that, and goes in and does what, whatever it is he does. <laughs> I love that. It's, he's a mystery to you, <laughs> even now. How many years have you been married? Finance is not my thing. I am like the least financial astute person. Um, we've been married 34 years. Whoa, that's so cool. You know, there's something about celebrating an anniversary and it, you really do need to recognize and celebrate these milestones. That's what I think, because marriage is not easy. No. So 34 years, wow. Well, and I think when you get to this stage, it's, um, it's important to celebrate because it it's a victory in a sense, right? You know, I like, I like thinking of your metaphor that you used during the Speak for Girls on the Run, which was, you know, it's part of your Iron Man in life. That's true. So are you on the swim, the bike, or the run? <laughs> <laughs> I am. Well, for me, it's probably the run because the run's the easiest part for me. The hardest part for me is the swim. Wow. So maybe we could dig into that a little bit. So you met your husband over 34 years ago. You were basically a baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> How, how, tell me about that. Tell us about how you met him kind of and what happened. Story. So I took this job in Denver. He, he was the treasurer of the company at the time. And I had worked there for like two weeks and somebody brought me into his office to introduce me to him. And, um, 
he shook my hand and he said, welcome aboard, which I immediately thought, well, that's the queerest thing anybody's ever said. (laughs) (laughs) But as I was walking out, I looked at Martha Jane, who was the woman that introduced me, and I went, gosh, I'm going to get to know him a little better. And she went, nobody gets to know him better. And I said, well, watch. And so I would go in and say, hey, you want to have lunch? And he'd look at me like I had six heads and go, no. And I'd go in another day and say, hey, you want to have lunch? And he'd go, "Uh, I'm working. And that went on for a while, like three weeks. And at one point he said, I can't date you. We both work for the same company. And so he went on a business trip. And when he came back three days later, I said, by the way, I got a new job. And (laughs) he went, you did? I said, yes. He goes, okay, we'll have a date after the soccer game because we both play the same <laughs> soccer game. So. <laughs> I, am, I am nothing if not persistent. I mean, I think, I think if any of my siblings or my mom was in the room, they would tell you the same thing. I'm fairly persistent. That is definitely a theme I think we're going to see throughout today's <laughs> episode. Um, what was your husband going through at the time when you met him? Yeah, he, his brother had just been murdered a few weeks before we had met and I had actually seen a newspaper article about it and it it unglued me the newspaper article that family was one of eight I'm one of eight he's just sounded like an all-around kid so when Jay and I started dating we were in the throes or he was in the throes of all of that you know the litigation they hadn't even caught the guy yet so um, it was a hairy experience it was especially for somebody so young because you're not quite sure what your position is, you know, what your responsibility, your role is during things like that. But what it comes down to is just loving somebody and being there for them. There are a few messages in here. I mean, definitely, sometimes I think when we go through tough things, people come into our lives to sort of help us through those tough times, and they'll always be part of that experience, but then they're sort they sort of leave. And in your case, that you know, you, you wouldn't know it at the time, but I mean, that very easily could have happened. So how did you two get through this and grow together? Cause this is an insane tragedy it and was. anybody who's listening, this actually, the murder you're talking about did happen in Boulder, correct? That's correct. At the Bennigan's in Boulder on June 21st, 1982. God. So if anybody was back there, then they, they would probably know that story. Cause I think it was the only murder in Boulder in probably 50 years or something at that point. So, yeah, you know, I think, I think focusing on happiness and, and I saw, you know, it was kind of a uh, interesting thing to watch my mother and father-in-law too, because actually, if I think about it, they were probably married as long as Jay and I are right now. It's about focusing on the happiness of life and giving each other the space to mourn or to, digest or whatever it is you need to do. That's a really great point. Uh, I feel sometimes that we don't give each other enough space. And when somebody needs space, we often take it personally. Like they don't want to be with me. Right. Tell me more about like, how do you give someone space? I need a lot of space personally. So for me to give people space isn't very difficult. I think in marriages today and and just what you see on TV and what the messages are, you're supposed to be attached at the hip and constantly happy. And if I was attached at the hip, constantly happy, you wouldn't go with that. So you just need, you need to know yourself and you need to be open with 
those around you enough for them to know you as well as you know you. Well, this brings up a really good point. So you figured out at some point that you need a lot of space. How did you figure that out? Oh, I, I think I've known that since I was young, even through like middle school and, and high school and stuff. I was never one that was in a pack mentality. I preferred one-on-one. I preferred, um, I preferred being by myself a lot. I mean, that's kind of how I got into running was to have the time alone because nobody in 1974, nobody else, 72, nobody else was running. You were just running away. <laughs> people would stop, Nicole. People would literally stop me on the street and ask me if I needed a ride or if something was wrong. Like, oh. that was a daily occurrence <laughs> when I ran. I love that. Where did you grow up? In Connecticut. Wow. That is crazy. What were you wearing in 1974 running as a kid, girl? It's kind of funny. I I actually was looking at pictures recently. I had on like champion, like boy shorts and then white boy champion boy t-shirts. And and I still have a scar. (laughs) That's more information than you need. But I still have a scar because we didn't have um, sports bras. So you wore you wore a normal bra, which of course moves up and down with you. And so, right in the middle of my chest, I have a scar from that. Wow, that's crazy! Mm-hmm. So when sports bras were finally invented, yes, which I actually still remember, I I bought my first one at Marshalls. Like the first one I ever saw was at Marshalls, and that was probably seventy six, maybe. Somewhere. Gosh. It's nuts. And it's crazy too, that you would keep going, even though your body's getting ripped to shreds, but there was something about the, the well, movement. I, I learned about something. Vaseline and I learned about band-aids, you know, yeah. <laughs> you got to improvise. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Vaseline and band-aids are not usual. Well, there, there's a quite a big market actually around those products now. Maybe you could still use the cheapest solutions, but a lot of companies are making a lot of money, making better things. Exactly. <laughs> Made out of Vaseline, probably, mostly. Totally. Okay, so you met your husband, you were young, and you guys had to get through some really tough stuff. How do you stay married for 34 years? Other than, like, focusing on happiness and space. The point being, have you gone through the tough stuff? Well, absolutely. Everybody does. That's why you. That's why when you get to this stage, you can look back and kind of go, wow, we really did this. Again, I think space is part of it. I think honesty is part of it, even when it's it's very difficult. Understanding and not and and checking ego at the door. You know, I think a lot of relationships are built on ego and what my needs are, and forgetting what the needs of either the individ, other individual or the unit as a as a family. You know, I mean, sometimes you forget the marriage. You got to just think about the family. So you guys had children. Yes, we have three girls. Uh, at what point did that happen, and how did that change you and affect your marriage? Early. Um, we had been married like two years. It was a whirlwind because um, when Katie was born six months later, we moved from Colorado to Houston, Texas. And nobody was outside in Houston, Texas, and I was never inside in Colorado. I knew nobody down here. so And Jay traveled a lot. It was a, a years, a couple of years of great growth for me, learning that I could take care of myself on many different levels, you know, whether it was getting the car fixed or boarding the house up for a hurricane or just being able to be with myself. So 
I think when you focus on your growth and the other person is focusing on their growth, that it's easier to navigate the tough times. When, when you had your, your children, did you experience issues like body image sure. issues or anything related to that? You know, I did. Well, I got huge too. I probably put on 70 pounds with, with each of the girls. Um, oh, and wait, let me back. Let me stop. How tall are you, Mary T? <laughs> I am not quite five feet. Oh, but if you ask so. my mother, if you ask my sisters, that's and my daughter was the exact same way when she had a baby. We just we get big and we have big babies. But the difference between body images when you're pregnant and you have the baby, that weight is easy to lose. So you lose that weight that, you know, you run a little more, you're young, you know, you tweak your diet just a little bit and you get immediate results. I think the body images for me now are harder than the ones from back then. Wow. So tell, tell me about that. Why? You have a little less control because it's more hormonal. You know, once you go through menopause, um, losing weight is very, very difficult. Like I, I am still running the same amount I always ran and it's not making a dent. You know, I'm still exercising. I'm tweaking my exercise routine. It's still not making a dent. And at some point you have to just kind of be like, okay, you know, and the funny part is, is I look like my mother, you know? So it's kind of like, I always thought my mom was beautiful. Why am I beating myself up about where I am? This is a, this is an important topic because I think a lot of people, people listening are of all ages and men and women, but at some point, everybody's going to hit menopause. Well, not the men. <laughs> Let me stop. Hold on a second. Know, they kind of go through their own little thing. They do go through stuff, that's for sure. And they're around women who go through this, and they probably suffer emotionally too because they don't know what the heck is going on. Um, I may actually be like starting menopause soon. I don't know. How old were you? Um, in my fifties. Okay. Began my fifties, like probably 51, 52. And I, I don't think I'm through it all the way. And it's not necessarily, um, weight gain as much as it's just everything shifting. Everything shifting. Wow. <laughs> this sounds so monumental. Um, and it is so like for people listening, actually, because what I like about this conversation with you is that you've been a runner since you were young. And so you really know your body in a, a way that people who aren't athletes don't. So people listening, I think would be interested in hearing, how did you know you were entering menopause? What happened to you? <laughs> I guess the first telltale sign was I wasn't sleeping a lot. Um, I had a lot of hot flashes, still do have a lot of hot flashes. Just, you know, like I felt like I could, there were days I felt like I could spit nails and that, that's not my personality. So trying to figure out what that was about. So, and then you end up in the doctor's office and they do blood tests and you find out. Oh, really? So they just test your hormones and uh-huh. they're like, okay, you've hit it. Yep. Wow. And then what, what's the solution? You know, <laughs> I'm um, very holistic. So for me, it's just head down and get through it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that believe in hormones and things, um, replacement, I'm just, that, that's just not for me. Yeah. I don't even like, like fake fingernails cause they feel, they feel foreign on me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. And as a swimmer, that doesn't work. <laughs> Let me tell you. <ya. laughs> 
I bet. Um, so you've had three daughters and we're talking about our bodies and our body image and how you get through tough stuff yourself. How, how, how important have your daughters been in you maintaining, you know, positive self-esteem? Hugely important. Um, and I learned that probably when I was, when Katie, my oldest was probably two or three and, um, my mom said something to me because I was complaining, oh, I'm not this or I'm not that. And mother said, you know, you really need to stop saying that because she understands your words and you don't want her taking that on. And I stopped that day. I stopped focusing or being, I started being very conscious of what I said around her. And I think they all have very, um, very strong ideas of who they are that are not centered, body focused. Yes, that's important. That's important for everybody listening, no matter who you are, because it also brings up the concept of negative self-talk. So what were you saying before you realized you need to cut it off? You know, oh, you know, I'm I'm sure it was, oh, I'm so fat or, you know, I look terrible in this dress or, you know, the usual that we say as we're, and that, you know, or even, and actually now that you say that, I can see my mom, um, that one last check in the mirror before you leave. And then you just kind of go, and I, Mm -hmm. I can see my mother going, no, you can't be doing that. That's not a good idea. Instead of looking at the mirror and saying, I look awesome. (laughs) It's cheesy, but it's what you should be doing. So your kids can see that. And I think the one thing that comes with um, getting older is that you tap into who you are internally a lot more. And if, if, if we could somehow get people to do that in their 20s, life would be so much easier for them. <laughs> That's true, but I don't know if it's possible. I think they have to go through this stuff. Yeah, I think so. I agree. But they're going to meet people like you. And that's going to help them. So boom. (laughs) I want to dig a little bit into Girls on the Run because you don't just go out and decide to start a a girls running group, club, program, chapter, because you want to. Like there's something behind that. What made you, what drove you to start Girls on the Run of Greater Houston? You know, I saw a little article about Molly in um, Runner's World in 98, I think it was. And I, it just talked about this program that she had started a couple years earlier, and I was fascinated by it. And I put it on my refrigerator and said, ah, one day I'll do that. And then there was another Golden Shoe Award of her like two or three years later, and I decided that was God telling me it was time. And so um, I called that day, and there was another woman from Houston who had called, and she and I pulled our resources sent in an application, um, was accepted, went to training. And right after training, Therese got transferred to um, Saudi Arabia. And so it was kind of left with me. And we started very small, you know, but it was something that I knew that could grow into something fabulous. And it has. Did your girls go through the program? Uh, Katie was too old. The oldest one was too old. Um, the youngest, the youngest one started in second grade instead of third, and the oldest and the middle one, Tierney, my second child, um, was too old to actually be part of Girls on the Run, but she was part of the first class because I needed to find bodies. <laughs> Got it. Ooh. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. You just need a, enough momentum to get it going. You know, we both read a lot of stats on girls and issues they face. A few of them really stand out to me. You know, earlier you used the word, the, the negative self-talk, like I feel fat, the F word, right? <laughs> and I read this really horrible stat that, that says by age 10, 80% of girls think they're fat. And it's heartbreaking. And when you said that at the luncheon the other day, the little girl—not she wasn't. She's not a, the young woman. She's in ninth grade. She, that brought tears to her eyes when you said that. She looked at me and she was like, "I know what that feels like." Yep, it's true. And your program is turning that around for girls. You know, another stat is that girls' self-esteem peaks at age nine. It's like happy and carefree, run around naked, be who you are, love your body. At age nine, the average age when girls start to question themselves. And that is one of the saddest things for me to hear too. And a lot of that comes from the way society looks at them. You know, it's, it's, not, an, it's not an intrinsic, oh, turn off the self-esteem button. It's because of the way they walk out into the world as a nine-year-old and all of a sudden society is treating them differently. That's true. And their peers, everybody's caught up in it. Mm-hmm. I think Molly had a term for, what was her term again? The girl box. Ah, the girl box. Yes. What is that? It's when little girls at nine or 10, all of a sudden start thinking that they're not good enough. They're not smart enough. They want to appeal to the boys in the room. You know, they're not pretty enough. All of those things. All of those knots. Yep. How do we, we've got to we've got to eradicate the knot, <laughs> a knot with a big line through it. Not knot. Um, so, what does Girls on the Run do? How do you how do you help them through this time? So, what we do is with um, ten weeks of twice a week lessons, we teach them how to take care of themselves, how to be a good friend, be a good community member, and at the end of the ten weeks, we host a five k for them. And when we host the 5K for them, now they've learned how to set a goal, work towards a goal, and achieve a goal, which is something a lot of these girls in our programs have never done before. Yep. And that's what I love about Girls on the Run. It's not just a 5K training program. You're giving them life skills. Right. Yeah, we have great lessons, you know, um, the positive cord, how to talk positively to yourself, and how to tap in that into that on the days that you're having, you know, a bad day. We teach them conflict resolution skills. I feel badly when you make fun of me. Would you please stop making fun of me? When they have that, those words and that, that skill set, it makes navigating friendships and, and bullying and all of those things much easier. Is bullying a big issue? I think it is, yes. Yep. Did you experience it? I did, um, from fifth to eighth grade, actually. It was traumatic. You know, and it's still, it's funny because I can, when I talk to the girls about bullying, I get emotional about it even even 50 years later. And um, you can see the girls' lights go on in their heads. Like the ones who are the bullies kind of look at me and think, oh, wow, this still affects her. And the ones who are being bullied think, wow, she made it through and here she is talking about it, even though it makes her sad. Wow. I, you know, it it wasn't a huge, it wasn't pervasive for me, although who knows? I mean, I sometimes wonder if things I said hurt people's feelings. And I know that even as an adult, there are certain snippets that our brains hang on to. Mm -hmm. 
that the people who said or did those things would never remember doing. And I think that's something to remember. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Words hurt. And we do this, we do this cool lesson where, um, and it, it's more for gossiping, but it, 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 it works for bullying too, where the girls have a tube of toothpaste and they each squeeze a little bit out of the tube of toothpaste and we tell them, okay, now put that back in the tube. Well, you can't. Once that's out, it's out, right? And that's the same with words. Once you say something, it's out there. You can't take it back. That is a great point. And I got to say, with the way technology is changing, once you take a picture of yourself doing something that you probably don't want anyone else to ever see again, it doesn't matter. It's out there. Yep. That's crazy. It is. It is. So do people ever drop out of the program? You know, I have a few. Um, We have 700 girls this season, and I know of two um, have decided not to finish. Our attendance at the race is between 98 and 99%. And a lot of times the reason the girls aren't at the race can be a transportation issue, not because they and the family don't want to be there. We do our best to eradicate that, but sometimes you, you can't. Um, do you take it personally or how do you handle it when even just a couple people don't move forward? No, I think, you know, all in good time, right? Maybe it's just not the time for them to hear the lessons of girls on the run. Maybe it's not the time for the family to be able to make the adjustments they, they need to make in order to have a girls on the run. You know, I, again, mm-hmm. it's about ego. If I took it personally, it would be all about me. And certainly that's not what this program's about which makes you a great leader and a great role model for the girls who graduate your program 10 years later. What's your wish for them in the world? I wish that I wish that they're still running or at least still being active in some form. I wish that they still can come to an office environment where maybe things are not great that day and use the skill sets that we teach them in girls on the run. It's funny when I talk about the, I feel comments if I'm in an environment with women, a lot of them will say, oh, I wish I had that when I was growing up. We, we need them our whole lives. It's not something that's, what we're teaching is not something that's just for 9 through 14-year-olds. Have you learned through, through uh, leading Girls on the Run? I don't, you know, I'm not sure that I've learned, like I probably already knew the lessons. I think a lot of these lessons um, in our day and age came sitting at the dinner table, you know, when you were starting to pick a fight with your brother or whatever, your mother would interject, this is how you behave in this situation. And I don't think kids today have that kind of environment a lot of times. But what I've learned is how to be authentic to the program. I've learned when I've started having negative self-talk, well, that's not a very girls-on-the-run way to behave. You know, I hold myself to a higher level because of girls-on-the-run. Oh, That's not a very girls on the run way to behave. I like that. It's a what would Mary T do? (laughs) And you got to hold yourself to that standard. Absolutely. Let's talk a little more about running then, because one thing you said you wish for them is that they keep their bodies healthy. You've continued to run. How many years have you been running your life? Uh, 50, no, 48. 48? Maybe 50. That's amazing. Do you ever get injured? You know, I have IT issues. Um, I have sciatica issues, but with um, good stretching and a good masseuse, I can overcome those. That's the other thing I would 
like for girls 10 years from now is that stretching is an important part of their day. Mm. I don't think it was something that was part of my day all for many, 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 many years. And I think I would have less issues if it were not the case, if I had been stretching. Well, part of the problem is it makes you slow down. Yeah. You know, you're going, going all day. How do you really take the time to just stop and do some right. stretching? Yeah. It's funny. I was interviewing Frank Shorter for this podcast and he said his form of stretching is starting a run really slow. And I thought, well, a lot of people's runs are just really slow all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. <laughs> so you're still running today. What one thing I was really found impressive is that you are attempting a marathon on all seven continents. I am. Actually, I have to switch that. I have, I'm running on all seven continents. Um, when Antarctica came up two years ago, it came up very quickly. Like our, They invited us to be on the boat, and 10 days or 14 days later, we were on the boat. So I was not in marathon shape. I did a half marathon on Antarctica. That's okay. It counts. <laughs> that's, what, that's how I feel, too. <laughs> that's, that's, it's Antarctica. I mean, yeah. seriously. Okay, well, tell me about the continents you've been to. What have you done so far? So my first was Greece. I ran the 2500 anniversary of the original marathon course. And then my second one was South Africa. And we ran, um, it wasn't Kruger National Park, but it was abutted to Kruger National Park. So we saw lions and tigers and bears. No bears. Um, but we did. <laughs> We saw the, we saw like they had to corral the lions. So they knew where the lions were while we were running in case the lions kind of went crazy. We did have elephants go crazy. They had to switch up the course because the elephants started stampeding. So we ended up actually running a little further than we would have. Um, You're making up Antarctica already. You ran more in South Africa. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. Good point. (laughs) Um, And then I did Marine Corps. And then I did Machu Picchu a year ago, June. Oh, tell me some crazy, some more crazy stories from these five continents. Machu Picchu, I fell and hit my head and ended up with a big concussion. Um, wow. I had, How did that happen? Were you alone? Yeah, I was running. And from what I can remember, I, I just, I tripped. And luckily I went head first into the mountain instead of to the right, because that would have been down a cliff. Um, that you never hear luckily I went head first (laughs) into anything this is amazing and so they didn't know what to do with me because it's they just didn't know what to do with me and I was literally very obviously very hurt and so they walked me out the 12 miles and then another six miles to the train station and then put me on a train without a passport which happens to be against the law in Peru and so when I got to Agua Calientes, I was actually detained for some time. With a head injury. Yeah, I was bleeding. My knees were all cut up. It was, <laughs> it was probably one of the worst days of my life. That was not a good day. Oh, that was not a good day. This gives people the sense of who you are. <laughs> you talked about persistent in the beginning. Yeah. This is like a whole different level of just like survival. Yes, it was pretty. Looking back, it's humorous. The, the, that day, it was not so humorous. Wow. But so what I have left is um, Asia and Australia. And Asia, I think I'm going to do Myanmar a year from November. 
and then Australia, my whole family and I will, that will, that'll be a celebration. We'll go, um, probably 2019 and finish it. And just pick some cool race down there. Cause there's a whole bunch of them. Yep, exactly. Wow. So why would people want to do the seven continents? Tell me what you're well, getting at. First this. of all, the people you meet are amazing. The people that are doing this are like very well traveled, very, very fun. Like nothing phases them. You know, there's a lot of, um, there things happen when you travel, right? And you can be traveling with people that get annoyed when things happen, or you can be traveling with people that make it a lot of fun. And when you're doing the continents, I have yet to be with anybody that gets annoyed. You just meet really cool people from all over the world. Um, and just to see other parts of the world, I think it, that in itself is an education because you're not, um, these races, you're not necessarily mainstream USA in in a USA kind of hotel and those things you're really functioning in their environment and I really like that you're a people person you might be like a introvert extrovert combo or something I think I kind of am you're right (laughs) there's a new category (laughs) we're starting that right now but there's a word that came to mind when you were speaking and it's the word control and those people who get annoyed when you're traveling it's like they're trying to control a process which, as we know, when you travel and especially when you're adventuring, the control goes out the window. Right. Well, and I kind of believe you either have faith or you worry, you know, and mm. doing both doesn't make sense. So I always no. have faith that things are going to turn out okay. Have faith. I like it. I think uh, you're right. When you try to control too much, you're just setting yourself up for failure or disappointment. Yep. Because you've got to give it up. And that is what makes you such a great leader, especially for young girls, is that you're leading, but you're not trying to control their futures. You're letting them sort of sink into the process here and have faith that they're going to come out of it in one piece. Yep. Yeah. So who's your greatest moment? What was that? In the end, it's going to be okay. Yep, you're right. And that's a great message for everybody. You're a great role model. Who's your greatest role model? I, I I just keep coming back to my mom. My mom was an amazing woman, raised eight children, was always kind, was so kind. And watching her interact with other people, I think, is if I can emulate the way she behaved in the world, I'd be a happy camper. I have to say, eight children? <laughs> that woman probably is a saint. <laughs> So you nailed it. All right. Well, we have come through and had such an awesome conversation. We've hit our 5K. We're a little bit over a few, just not even a minute. So we have time for me to ask my final question that I ask of everybody who does the podcast, which is if you could give the listeners one piece of advice, one final nugget that would help them run their worlds in bigger and better ways, what would it be? Can I give you two? Bring it on. (laughs) One is positive thoughts, positive actions, positive results. And I think if everybody starts their day with that thought in mind, then that you're going to have a positive day. And I also believe in as you think, so shall you be. So if you think you're going to rock the world, you will rock the world. What do you think today? I think it's a glorious day outside and I'm looking forward to running in cooler weather here in Lancaster. (laughs) 
Well, you go get out and enjoy those beautiful colors, and uh, I hope you do something really special with your husband tonight. Thanks. Congratulations. Thank you. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. What a fun episode with Mary T. Her Girls on the Run chapter, they do these really cool mantras. And when I was at the luncheon, there was a table of little girls. And at the beginning, they said, come on, girls, let's do one of our mantras. And they all stood up. And in unison, they said, looking good, looking good, looking real good, looking good, looking good, looking real good. I just thought it was amazing. And I could tell that it wasn't all about looking good. It was about feeling good, even with these girls. Mary T's final thoughts on positive thoughts, positive actions, positive results. That is something I clearly relate to. You all know my message about the power of positivity. But I I even more love the way she's brought it into the mental shift of as you think, so shall you be. So let's leave it on that note, everyone. As you think, so shall you be today. As you're running along, if you think you're going to trip over that route, you're going to trip over that route. If you think you're going to fly along the trail, you're going to fly along the trail. So let's fly. Let's enjoy the day. And as you know what time it is, it's time to get out there and run your world. 